0: Hi and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature Podcast with me, Chris Jordan. In this episode, I am speaking to Ben Walker. Ben is an English and TOK teacher here in Hong Kong, as well as the current CAS coordinator at his school. Next year, he will be taking up the head of secondary English role at his current school. In this conversation, we discuss the best book he's ever read, taught, or been taught, the advantages and disadvantages of running the five-year NYP course all the way up to the Diploma Program, his perspective on inquiry and authentic assessment, and whether they look different in year seven versus year 11, how much Ben's current school implement the element of service within the curriculum and the directions he's considering moving forward, the feasibility of cast playing a part in the academic curriculum, and finally, a somewhat insular one, but Hong Kong versus Singapore. What's the difference and what's Ben's advice if considering a move from one to the other? Thanks again to Ben for his eloquence and insights across the casts and English curriculum. If you want to be kept up to date on when educational chat like this happens, then be sure to subscribe to the podcast and or follow me on Twitter at ChrisJordanHK. Right, Ben, start with a nice, easy one for you. What is the best book you've ever read towards or been taught yourself?
1: Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll try and split it up. This is not an easy question for an English teacher, is it? I've, I've listened to some of the previous recordings and they've got it straight away. They're like right in. I've, I've got quite a few for, for different reasons. Okay, so I've tried to break it up. Um, I, I can't really define the best book I've ever read, but I can narrow it down to about two or three in recent years. Um, one of which is Station Eleven. Uh, I, I just think it's a s- sensational book. Obviously, um, you know, with the zeitgeist of COVID and things like that, and and the ways in which we've we've tried to adapt to the challenges. But I think that book was just a great balance of exploring what a pandemic is like. I mean, she was in Hong Kong recently um, at the literary festival and talking about areas that maybe she misjudged. Um, areas that when you're writing a book like that, obviously there's there's got to be some filling in the gaps and a bit of imagination with it. But other areas where, for example, the preservation of the arts was uh, beautifully put together, the way in which he explored this traveling troupe who want to preserve Shakespearean performances and music and, and literature. And, I, and, and you could see that when the National Theatre were posting their performances online for free during that period of lockdown. There was an idea of if you need to keep those things because they're, they're they're very central to what's important to us in terms of how we record our world how we perceive it how we interpret it so i thought that was a powerful book um another one most recently i know that you guys teach that there at, at your school as well is go went gone um so i read that a few years ago and um and felt it was perfect ib material i mean it still is you can you could teach that for the next five to ten years and the issue will still be pressing it's still going to look at the challenges of, of, of immigrants and, and the policies that are in place. We know what's happened recently in the UK with, with such policies and Gary Lineker and the challenges there. Um, so I love the fact that that book can really open up a can of worms for discussion like that. Um, and then you've got your more classics like um, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison. Um, I was introduced to that book by a colleague at, uh, at West Island many, many years ago, and uh, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the prose. I fell in love with the elements of... Um, Of race Um, obviously, really important in terms of how I've grown up in a very kind of uh, white society in in, in South London as well, so having to deal with the pressures and you start to question your own identity. I I just love the fact it explores those issues so openly uh, and controversially so as well. Um, So those are some of the best books I've read. Taught, Um, I try not to teach those texts where I can because I I, I love them so much, I think you know we try and keep our, our, our treasures to ourselves. Um, Things like uh, Richard Wright's uh, Black Boy, I love teaching those in terms of um, uh, a memoir text for for *Langlet* in particular. Uh, Chronicle of the Death Were Told, again exploring those ideas of masculinity and also the way that text is structured. You know, that kind of non-linear narrative and trying to work out, well, hang on, we start with this death and this murder and we've now got to almost play the detective ourselves and work out who is responsible and it goes beyond just the idea of trying to identify an individual but really look at what role does society play in the judgment of an individual or you know why do we just sit back as bystanders and allow such things to happen um, and most recently at, at night all blood is black um, so th- this one the man booker um, international prize i think a couple of years ago and i was blown away by it i don't often read a book in the night i've got two young girls so i don't usually get the time um, but this was sensational, and I think, in particular, when I'm when I'm teaching literature, I really want to explore the power of translation. So not just in terms of, you know, how they preserve the the content, but also the style, the um, the idiosyncrasies of the way a sentence is put together, and and, and you know, really exploring what the message of the writer is and how they put that across. So I, I love that. Um, the, the memory police most recently uh, is, is brilliant as well. I was trying to bring that into, into DP. And then being taught, um, I've got vivid memories of falling in love with English in year 12, when I was doing A-levels in London. Uh, and uh, I think it was the John Dunn poem, Sun Rising, that I just kind of felt, hold on a minute. This is sensational. He's talking about him and his woman. They're in bed and this sun is poking through the curtain and disturbing their presence and their company. Um, and I just love the fact that we could openly talk about these things and explore the depth. And it was, yeah, there was a bit of titillation in there, but I just loved the the beauty and the imagery, and it just kind of opened my eyes up to what literature can really do in terms of exploring our inner thoughts in such a beautiful artistic and creative way. Um, and my first real memory of of loving English was in year nine when our, our teacher, Miss James uh, taught us much to do about nothing. and um I, I didn't I didn't really think Shakespeare could be funny. But actually, exploring the ways it was put together was uh, was was great to to explore. I could go on and on, Chris. I could go on and on, but I'll have, I'll have to leave it there.
0: You've got some me- phenomenal examples, I have to say. That's funny. You bring up the um, that night. All blood is black. I Think uh, one of my colleagues asked me that today to have a read. So um, that'll be next up on my. Um, Reason list, uh, I would have thought. So yeah, but and uh, for so for for other people's benefit, in terms of the school that you work at currently, it's uh an nyp five year, like sort of through school all the way up to DP. And we were talking just before we started recording about the fact that you know ordinarily in in Hong Kong, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but a lot of the schools tend to opt for that three year myp block and then the two-year IGCSE before going on to dp and that raises a number of different challenges and and you know considerations and conversations and debates with it so at Mm. renaissance what advantages does a five-year myp course afford the english department in your experience are there any what are the advantages what are the disadvantages in your opinion pet
1: um, from a from a student and teacher perspective, I think you've got the, the 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 common jargon, right? So we can look at the ways in which we look at the criterion all the way throughout those five years, and obviously we shift from year three, year five, etc. But um, I think it just allows a scope of freedom, engagement, creativity, as I was talking to you about before we recorded, where we can. Focus on a unit. So let's just say that I was looking at a news unit with Year 11 at the start of this academic year, and we were looking at students being able to explore and go out into the, the RCHK community and look for a story, something that's newsworthy. That might have been for a number of students whether the quality of food in the canteen is good enough, uh, whether the way that we're taught could be done in a more engaging and vibrant way, um, some controversial issues about a supposed. Um, voting scandal with the, one of the house competitions towards the end of last academic year, so it's a great way for the students to engage with what's happening around them. Um, I, you know, there's there's opportunity for real world inquiry there. At the same time, I can look at something that is happening in the real world. Um, as I was saying to you, we could talk about within the news unit Andrew Tate and how something that might have. Kind of gone quite crazy viral on social media becoming something newsworthy and whether that then raises issues and ideas that we can talk about in terms of our SDGs, in terms of what we think is um, important in our society to, to explore. It marries really well with our DEI policies that I know ESF are working on all, all, all throughout the last couple of years. So there is that freedom and creativity that I like about MYP. <clears throat> what I would say is one of the challenges, is this? You can call me old-fashioned with this, but it's the quality of the assessment and the ways in which there's a not just a rigor, but let, let's not deny this. There's a, a necessity to embed quality skills for students as you're going through. Like I, I love the inquiry aspect of MYP, I and DP of course, and I, I love the time and scope that you're allowed to have with that. But I feel the currency of being able to do timed assessments. We can do timed assessments in MYP. But they're very much at the autonomous control of us as a department. Whereas, if there is an external approach to it, I think it 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 filters more in terms of the way that we moderate. It filters more in terms of, you know, the way that we can coach and and structure our kids in a particular way to be prepared for those assessments. So it's kind of like trying to find a happy medium behind the mechanical approach and the 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 kind of structure of igcse course and the flexibility and freedom of myp i'm not quite sure what that medium is some call e-assessments the as an opportunity for that um I, i'm not entirely sure that's the way forward it's a possibility maybe something that we could trial uh, for a few years and then, then reflect upon again i don't know um but yeah it, there are some issues There are issues in terms of the way that we're putting data together um i'm fairly new to rchk so i you know i don't want to be too uh, critical of it too much. I'm still trying to learn a lot about about the process itself. But um, some, one, of the, one of the issues I've, I've definitely heard from students and some staff is the, the reporting approach as well. So for example, with our lower years, we don't actually put data on their work. So we've got a gradeless approach. But then the issue is when the reports are uh, disseminated to parents and, and guardians, there are numbers on them. So obviously, for students and those parents and guardians, they're wondering how have we got to that point. We might keep internal data, but then I think maybe there needs to be more of an overt conversation with students about where they're at, why they're there, and what do they need to improve on. Um, so yeah, and of course, you know what this is like. As soon as a student sees a number, that's all they become obsessed by, um, mm-hmm. and you want them to really understand the skills approach to it. So yeah, there's a happy medium there. I love the freedom and the scope, but maybe the rigor and the skills again call me old-fashioned is something that needs to be kind of really deep rooted and and uh kind of conveyed openly to the students
0: Mm. the Andrew Tate thing strikes a chord with me actually because I spoke to um an author uh, he's I suppose he's a teacher and a sort of consultant like Trevor McKenzie he's like written a few books about inquiry and he said that the uh, he basically said exactly what you just said then like the, the massive advantage of inquiry or nyp or whatever you want to call it is the fact that the day after the will smith chris rock thing there was only one thing all the kids wanted to talk about right and if you are teaching our gcse and you were planning that day to do summary writing skills it's not <laughs> you could, you know, i mean you could have a good go
1: we could make it work you could make it work <laughs>
0: But it's so much easier if you have got, you know, if, if you were doing a year seven unit and it was about heroism mm. and gentle, but you could do it if you've got one about sort of culture or like your, you know, stereotypes about your culture and things like that could make that work. But the news one as well is, 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 is huge. And yeah, so I think that is the advantage. But again, the other thing that resonated with me when you were saying that is that idea of the happy medium. Mm. And it's it's there's so many. Again, I had like an MYP coordinator, uh, Amber Reinhart, I spoke to her a couple of weeks ago, and I said like, "What's your opinion on just doing a timed assessment in MYP?" Because we're always looking for authentic assessment. Mm. And she said, "Well, that is authentic. Sometimes people are expected to write under time-sensitive conditions to prove what they know. Like if you go for a three-day interview." At an international school in wherever they might say to you okay write me a a unit plan now you've got to be able to do that under a certain amount of you know scrutiny and stuff Bam. having said that you know you've obviously got to balance out things like global contexts and and like say inquiry and student agency and stuff so it's 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 exciting and it's I think it's it's um it's it's unpredictable and it's it's you know, it's imagination, like it, it provokes your imagination and stuff. But yeah, it's a hell of a juggling act, I think, when it comes to, uh, satisfying all the different aspects of the curriculum.
1: It does. I look at all those aspects of like exploring your global issues and, and, you know, bringing in your learner profile. I think those can circumnavigate any topic. Now, I, I think if we're, we're, we're properly preparing students to go into DP and do language and literature and literature. They need to be exposed to those topics and materials. Um, it's the kind of thing that they comment on, on on social media. It's the they're exposed to it, and I think they need to have the critical skills to be able to deconstruct it and to argue it and articulate it. And I think on a, on a very basic level as well, if I want students to be engaged in the subject, I need to know what they're engaged with in and with and and to have that sense of right let's let's take that popular topic let's just take a step back how can we critique this Mm. so you know maybe you remember many many years ago you would have a, a letter to the editor of a newspaper or magazine where you express your opinion now we've got comments right the ease by which you can just immediately give your response means we're not really giving ourselves enough time to process and reflect on the topic overall it's just a media reaction a thumbs up a thumbs down whatever it might be um whereas i think we've got responsibility in our, our classes to actually digest that and go hold on what do you think about this let's go back to, let's go back home speak with your friends your guardians etc and let's be able to articulate in a proper logical some way emotionless approach what we think about this um he is uh, he's a really interesting example. And I know in the UK there was, I think, some tasks were popping up on the likes of teach it, et cetera, in terms of how you could approach teaching about Andrew Tate. It's an interesting, interesting topic to explore, to be honest.
0: I think I, I do think that we're now in the last, and it is the last 10 years. It's not we're not talking the last 50. It's the last 10 years where, you know, 20, 30 years ago, whoever had the most information was the most. You know, powerful country, the most powerful, whatever, whether you were Man United as a football club in the 90s or whether you were, you know, Central Intelligence Agency in the uh, the 80s or whatever in the government. Now everyone's got access to everything. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, It's certainly yeah. become a thing in the last five or 10 years where you can realistically kind of be an auto autodidact in whatever you want to be. But the kids, yeah, I worry because. I I don't know, have they, we certainly weren't taught in school, the facilities with which to question the information that we were getting from the internet, because it was such a new kind of phenomenon. And even now it's gone kind of, it's, it's times a hundred times a thousand. And there's, everyone has a voice and everyone has an opinion. And I think, yeah, it's, it's, I, I completely agree with that. That's a really good analogy or a really good example that responses now or, or voice or opinion that comes so cheap and you can mm. give your opinion so quickly and i think taking it slow and looking at it in a more objective ways it is really really important yeah um but mm, yeah i think um so in in terms of the this is kind of coming back to something you mentioned a moment ago but where do you stand on the whole kind of inquiry and authentic assessment and and things like this, this is something I've been thinking about, I don't know, for a long, long time now. But um, does inquiry for you and does authentic assessment for you look the same in year seven unit one Hmm. as it does in year 11 unit four, let's say, for example? Is there a distinction that you guys have got um, at your school or is there a distinction you would like to start implementing?
1: Yeah, I think it's again we're we're trying to move away from just a kind of essay based approach with what we're doing with our units and trying to give a bit more onus and choice to the students, right? So our formative tasks allow us to bite size PE writing, whatever it is, PA writing, whereas the summative approach might be more based around okay, a media product that you might create, or it might be an advert, or it might be something where they can look at that same issue, but present it in a slightly different way, something that's more familiar to them and accessible to them, or something that they want to have. Um, so I looked, at, I looked at our units, and we look at unit one, we look at mythology. It's a kind of classic unit to start with for year seven as they transition from six to seven, all right? So, you know, they come in with a fascination with Greek mythology, their Roman gods, etc., their heroes. And we end our course in year 11 with violence and literature. Now, that's quite a stark difference, right? So we might explore some short stories like Land of the Slaughter. Uh, we might examine the, the the violence in some of the plays that they've looked at through the year. Uh, we might just zoom in on something, for example, like the slap that Othello gives to Desdemona in the play and how the audience might respond to that. Um, so there, there is a, definitely a different level in terms of maturity, in terms of how they can explore those ideas and how we give them ownership and you know, to go back to Trevor McKenzie, we're talking about this kind of guided and structured and open approach to inquiry, right? So in year seven, we want something that's a bit more... Know, guide, guided giving them a bit more sense of where they can go they've just come back from their pyp exhibitions where they've gone out and done their research they're able to think critically about those global issues that are out there and then bring those ideas to the text so mythology is an interesting one because it allows you to look at culture allows you to look at family identity what does that mean from a mythological context to to now um, i don't know if you still do it i know at west island it was very similar there was this idea of like the creation of the world right and what does what does that look like in different parts and you start to see the similarities between a kind of Indian Indian origin story or it might be um, you know, a, a more kind of Western traditional Christian origin story. You see the similarities that are there but then you can zoom in on the art of storytelling in itself. So there are ways in which you can look at inquiry in a much more exciting or engaging way with, with that. Zoom five years down the road, and we don't have this linear structure of what those skills are. I think we, we hit a number of different skills across, across those years in between. But when we're thinking about that violence literature unit in year 11, that's much more about the degrees of what is ethical, what's not ethical, what's right wrong. So we're not just looking at inquiry. We're looking at something much more open here. And we're also bringing in other aspects that prep them for DP. So we might ask them some TOK questions. We might start looking at the kind of language that will prepare them for that level of critical thinking skills that's necessary to achieve those good grades and and understand what the core is there for, because that appropriates itself to to all other subjects. So yeah, I I feel that, there's, there's this kind of continuum of guided to open that we kind of move back and forward with within those five years of MYP, of, of And um, depending on the engagement of the topic they're looking at, the students will most certainly respond in, in some fascinating ways. Um Again, I, I remember a few years ago at, at West, I, I put a unit together which looks at this idea of culture and identity. We looked at this idea of the iceberg, right? So what we see on the surface and what we see in terms of our, um, you know, our exterior. But then as an inquiry, it was to go and interview your grandparents or go and interview family members to get a sense of how do you feel about your cultural identity? What does that mean to you? And it was amazing how many students would come back and say, I never knew this about my grandfather. This is what he had to do when he was younger, but he had this kind of resistance to it. But there was a respect for his parents in order to behave the way that they did. I'm like, okay, great. So you realize that your you know, antagonistic behavior to your own culture and your, your parents, and the way they're forcing you is nothing new, that it is there. Um, and it just, yeah, it just allows them to really reflect in different ways. So. Yeah, again, it doesn't have that spine, but there are opportunities. And I think once you have those convos with the students and you really kind of have those one-to-one discussions about what they're interested in, they can go off and inquire in a way that suits them. Um, and I think that's the buzz for me with MYP in that you might start one place and you think you're going to end up over there, but actually, you know, we tangentially go somewhere else where a student has something that they're passionate about and interested in. And I, I, I have to somehow. And this is the hard part. Somehow mark that. I've got to somehow. i got to somehow bring that back to that, you know, criterion. Um, that's so funny. I've that, always had that problem.
0: <laughs> that's that's so funny. You bring up that um, the cultural unit because um, actually, funnily enough, literally today we just got <laughs> to the end of that unit, and I'm not sure if I'm sure you guys did this when when you were here, Ben, but. Um, what we do now is get them all down into the auditorium and like two students from every dynasty or like house um yeah. uh, to speak more generically presents yeah. like they've been voted from there you know amongst their mates for who's the best one so we add nine ten of the kids today presenting in like this really you know lovely auditorium lights down big big tedx thing behind them Talking about what it means to be Indian, what it means to be Muslim, what it means to be LGBTQ plus, what it means to be Asian, what it means—just be... love—and and and that is a testament. That and that is a testament to everything that you were just saying then, where it's like they can speak to the family, they can speak to, um, they can do their own inquiry. I had a lad's kind of come into me this morning and say that he practiced it with his dad, and his dad was like, "Wow, you really." think that about Austria no no this is this this and it's like that's the beauty of it man you're not gonna I mean you could do that with IGCSE I don't want to keep panning IGCSE you could do it but it's it's not necessarily always incentivized so um the the other the other side of like NYP uh, and IB sort of education more generally is this idea of uh, service and they're getting more and more invested in service as a means of authenticating assessment so they often, you know, the gold standard often is, can you make sure that the end point of the unit or in some way, the unit or a couple of units are, are anchored in some sort of service. And they talk about, what do they talk about? It's research, advocacy, non-direct and direct or something like that. I, know, um, I love the IB language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but how, how much of that do you do right now as a school and what directions are you considering moving forward?
1: To be honest with you, we're not really going in that direction at the moment. Um, I think that, you know, I've, I've taken on the CAS coordinator role this year, um, and it's it's fascinating not being a, a, a tutor or pastor or leader, um, just doing it from a kind of student tick box admin approach. And now having those kind of one-to-one discussions with students as they pitch their project proposals with me. And we look at how does it marry with a learning outcome? and What does this look like in the real world? right? So if we just take, I mean, I'll answer this in two parts. The first will be how we approach CAS here at RCHK. The other will be very much like that academic connection and how we're trying to make those bridge that. Um, so service is integral to what we're doing here. Um, obviously, it's it's not the be all, but it is an important part, especially the last couple of years. Um, when we had our, our CAS week back in um, November, obviously, we couldn't go overseas. We couldn't even camp. But one of the things that we wanted to, to try and do was to look at what we can provide back to our local community, especially those who have struggled to keep their businesses afloat, haven't had any kind of contact for, for a good while. So we were sending students to Lesbeth Centre, uh, Jockey Club, Sarah Row. We had a service in the community week where they go to Impact HK. They were doing things with Psychon Straight Friends. It was wonderful because the students were exploring things on their own doorstep. Uh, to kind of counter the disappointment of not going to Bali or Malaysia or elsewhere, et cetera. Um, so it was important that we really emphasize the fact of building those legacy projects and making connections and, and trying to get a sense of how service is integral to giving back. And and it's the kind of thing that I don't I don't think students really realize how important CAS is until probably they get to university or when they finish university, um, because they start to see the true effect of it. When they're in the midst of it they just see it as a kind of tip box exercise and it and, and needs to be done but then come to the second part which is looking at how you know this idea of it being meaningful and being being active i think one thing that we could work on and i know this is probably school-wide thing in hong kong is to make more tangible meaningful connections between our curriculum our academia and what we're doing outside of that um, and that might be very you might think, you know, very, you know, tangible, um, but quite, I think quite basic in some ways. So let's just go back to blue size an example, and I want you to look at the ways in which you are going to, um, comment on concepts of beauty, or we we're going to look at the idea of body shaming or what it means to be comfortable within your own skin. Um, my previous school in Singapore, we've had a, a, a great, um, group, which, um, explored the idea of essentially diversification, right? DEI issues. It was called spectrum. And the idea was looking at how we could comment on LGBTQIA issues and how we could integrate students into the club who were maybe finding it difficult to have that conversation, especially in Singapore where you know there's, there's not real advocation for such things as it were. Um, and it was, it was wonderful just seeing how that opportunity of exploring those ideas in the text, like the blue style elsewhere, um, the uh, Aristotle and Dante explore the universe for example and bringing those ideas into the club and saying this is what we talked about in class with this text and now this is an article or this is something I heard on the world service or this is something we have talked about in the cafeteria this is something I've heard in the playground etc and talk about what that means to them um, and just having an activity like that we've got someone who can coach it and guide it uh really developing that maturity obviously teachers supported as well because i think you need to kind of make sure that you're using as best the right tones or be aware of when you're making some maybe um misjudgments or not saying the right thing that sort of stuff is uh, is important or it might even just be an assembly that explores it um and given that so that, that might be just an english example it might be a debate club that you put together um i've done book clubs in the past where we might comment on such things and bring that in and then a student might then go on and turn that into their own club or activity um might be something as simple as um biology and, and and trying to explore something that you've done in that particular subject and then say right how can we take that a bit further forward it might be something as basic as kind of thinking on my feet here with this idea of like growing your own organic vegetable products for example um and what it's like to build a uh, you know hydroponics in your own home and get that sense of the autonomy of doing your own small contribution to try and be more aware of how we're eating responsibly. So I, I think there's real scope for it. I, I don't know if the the Cinderella dream or the radical dreaming that I have with it is going to be tangible or practical. Um, but I think the the idea is is a good one to start from.
0: I, yeah, I agree with you. I think that I just can't see past um because there are certain things which you have to teach as part of the of, of you know the English curriculum and stuff and particularly with regards to the creative things the descriptive things or the narrative things I really struggle to see how to link that to a meaningful because I, I don't want to as an MYP coordinator myself I don't want to do it because I've been told to do it because the kids will see through that the teachers We'll see through that i'll see through you know i won't be able to live with myself the only way i can see that you could do advocacy is the fact that you can say okay well often writers use literature as a way to put across you know issues that are whatever so we've for example we've got like a mysteries unit now that was started last year and i sort of went away i taught it once and i went away and i was like this is i feel like this is yeah, it's, it's not that the kids loved it. They loved reading the mysteries. They did a good job of writing it themselves and stuff like that. And I just thought we're going to somewhere down the line, someone's going to turn around to me and say, but where's the authenticity? Where's the global context? Where's this? Where's that? And I sort of went away and listened to a load of podcasts by uh, what's he called? Mark Lawson. So a journalist for the B, and he, so he's like a massive mystery. Yeah, 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 yeah. I interviewed people from around the world who were like mystery writers about how mysteries reflected the social climate of that particular, you know, kind of country. So he interviewed like Nigerian people, Polish people, and I was like, right, okay, we can work with this. Amazing. And so, you know, you look, you review the unit and you discuss how to change it and, 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 you know, look at the SDGs and things like that, maybe look at inequality in Hong Kong and blah, 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 but it's still only advocate. And I shouldn't say only advocacy, it's, it's, but it's advocacy when it comes to indirect, when it comes to indirect sort of service or direct service. I don't want to say it's at odds with or conflicting with the aims of the curriculum, but they don't necessarily mesh uh, every mm. single time. And I asked this of uh, Nadir Abdullah, who sh- she was like an interdisciplinary unit um, trainer that we had a couple of weeks ago. And she said, listen, if you can have one good unit a year, or if you can just have one, looking at school-wide, if you can have really one good unit where there is direct service happening in a subject, that's pretty, that's that's great. That's outstanding. And maybe... I don't know. Maybe sometimes we can be a bit too hard on ourselves, where we're like, right, okay. it's got to be, you know, we need to hit the DEI thing, we need to hit the um, global context thing. It's got to be inquiry. It's got to be service. But it's got to be a knowledge-rich curriculum. It's got to be this. It's got to be that. And I don't know, like it's it's, it's that, that,
1: that's probably that's the biggest, I think, roadblock for us that we feel it's got to be all things to to all people. And I, I don't think it needs to be that way. I, I think a lot of that actually needs to go to the students and to say, well, what is it from this text or this experience? or So let's just say that, that you know, the, the um, ceremony you had today, the TEDx conversations that your students had, right? If one of those students, and I'm pretty sure there's more than that, right? at least half the U group have walked out of that experience going, I've learned how to speak with confidence, right? Now, if that means that they then go on and volunteer to be part of a a school assembly, fantastic. That's something they've got out of that. Whereas there might be another student who'll go, actually, why don't we create a club that celebrates the diversity in our school and explores and we can have more Days where we can celebrate what it's like to be Indian or celebrate what it's like to be Chinese, celebrate what it's like to be a Kiwi, you know, all those sorts of things are, are going to be small steps to a better understanding of what it's like to be. Sorry, it's a bit cheesy here, but to be a global citizen, you know, yeah, it, it does agree with that. Yeah. Thing. that makes uh, a
0: lot of sense to me. Yeah, like you, you're talking like kind of grassroots as opposed to yeah. like knocking them over the heads with the idea of charity. It's like right write a speech because we're going to the refugee centre next week and we need to
1: collect I, I, I feel that's that's probably counterproductive to what you want as well because as a CAS coordinator I'm looking at students going right so you want to do this service but are you doing this because there's a genuine engagement with the topic or does it look good for your university application? Now if it's both that's that's fine that's perfect I get that right I know that there's an end game for them as well But I don't want them to just go and do two or three days at Psych and Stray Friends and then never show an interest in that again. Mm. Because I feel like what we then are breeding is this tick box exercise of I've done my bit of service. There we go. We're right. There's enough of that in the world. I think there needs to be more genuine grassroots, roll your sleeves up and get involved and actually do that on a genuine basis. And we've got a number of students here. Who sorry, I just kind of up my passion levels a bit here, but we've got a number of students here who do those sorts of things. They do beach cleanups, and I've never, never heard about it. And then yeah. I bumped into them, you know, uh, Chinese New Year, bumped into a couple of students on Trio Beach. I went walking with my missus and and the girls down to the beach, and I saw these kids down there. I was like, I this should be this should be on your manage back. This should be there. They're like, how long have you been doing this? I was like, oh yeah, I've been doing it a few years since so I was like, you know, year five. What and that's great. That's like genuine immersive role, and that's the kind of thing that you can't always capture. I think sometimes if you force it, or if you know, I'd be found it really hard to bring it in. They used to, as you know, have an hours um element to cast, and now they've kind of stripped that back. And it's like, you know, how many learning outcomes are you meeting? I think that's so much better because there's a, a better sense of like, where's your global engagement? Where are you showing your planning and production? Where are you really thinking about? how this activity fits your needs and also the needs of, of, of trying to pass uh, the core. But yeah, you know, sometimes we can get fixated on it being perfect or, or this idea of, you know, the it, idea.
0: Does, it does remind me of a um, uh, previous school I worked at. It was like heavily affiliated with uh, charities like old people's homes in Hong Kong and, and and schools for students with kind of learning needs and stuff and it did. We would just go at Christmas. The kids would know they were going, of course, and we would go. And y- you would see some kids shine. They were like amazing at talking to these people who um, were in government facilities and and you know didn't have much and stuff like that. But a third of them, two thirds of them, were just you know they were just ambling through yeah. and kind of doing what teenagers do. You know, it, they, they, you know, they're only young people. But it, it did almost feel like I sort of turned to a colleague one year and I was like, this is almost like. Not to be crass, this is a little bit like you know an out in a you know a sanctuary or something. It feels like it, we we're just sort of exposing them when it, there's no meaningful kind of you know interaction or anything like that. And it it did yeah it can be quite superficial, like you were saying before. So if it does happen organically, if you can kind of you know set the ball rolling so to speak, or you know grassroots, all those kind of cliches. um Yeah, that's quite a nice way of putting it, Ben. Actually, that you just. You light the light the spark, so to speak. Yeah. Um, the last the last question I had for you, actually, because you've you've kind oh, of an, you've answered the uh, the 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 cast playing a part in the academic <laughs> curriculum. Um, um is the for those of those people who've never been to Hong Kong or don't live in Hong Kong, etc. There is um, certainly a conversation that occurs every now and again after about four or five live years of living here, which is. You know, would Singapore be better? So like this Hong Kong versus Singapore rivalry, which we read about in the newspapers here in terms of them vying for which kind of Southeast Asian um business kind of hub is the most livable city. You I think you've mentioned it a few times there. I know you spent um, you know, a couple of years there, and unfortunately it was under the under the cloak of COVID. But for you, um, what do you think the two cities? Um, have to offer? What would be your advice in terms of moving from one to the other? What can people expect?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's um, it's important to preface that it was during COVID because uh, there was also a reduced approach to what we experienced with Singapore. Um, I, I loved it in truth. I think there was a lot to explore there. Um, you know, it, it's flat, right? I mean, we, we lived opposite uh, the highest point in Singapore, which I think was 167 meters. Okay, and when you're coming from Hong Kong, where you, you you've done the Macloes Trail, you know my missus has done all of these kind of like twenty four hour night hikes. It was is a bit underwhelming in that regard. Um, I think if we were younger, uh, I know, we wish we were right. But if we if we were younger, I don't think Singapore would have appealed for me, um, and it didn't. That's why I stayed in Hong Kong for as many years as I did. Um, but I think Singapore is a great place for young children. Like our daughters were three and almost one when we when we moved uh, to, to to Singapore. And it was it was great in terms of what it could offer. As again, you know, the flatness was great for, for pushing the prom about, getting the kids to learn how to scoot and, and to cycle their bikes and to go for a run. So in that regard, I think it's wonderful. And I'd, I'd advocate that if you want a bit more space. Um, one of the great selling points about Singapore was this kind of green future tech city. And... It is. It's quite sensational. You know, you've got some of the big names in tech, Meta and Google, et cetera, who are moving over there and, and set up their stations. Um, and I and I can see where that's going to go with the interaction of use of tech in schools and the accessibility. Um, in some ways, I, I still wish I was there. I mean, I, I love Hong Kong to bits. I'm happy to be back. But I think once I was there after about six to, to eight months of, of working in the school I was in, and being in Singapore, I felt, yeah, I could be here for a few years. Um and I and I loved my role. I mean, the 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 school was was fantastic. It was fairly young. I think it was what, seven years when I joined, um, and it was going into that kind of infancy of IB. It had grown exponentially from, you know, 30 year 13 students uh, when I joined for their year 13 group and then like 80 in year 12. I think they're now running at about 140 year 12s. Um, so the the popularity of, of the school and IB is growing for sure. So I really enjoyed that sense of seeing it grow and and bringing some expertise to that. Um, but there's something, something special about Hong Kong that I can't quite put my finger on. I, I I think it's the, you know, this this rivalry is also a bit superficial. They're very, very different places. Let me put it that way. They're very different places. But I think there's something special about Hong Kong in the sense of, you know, within 15, 20 minutes, I can go from where I am in Maran Shan, which could be any you know nondescript part of hong kong and suddenly i'm in the country park of saikon um and you can you can get on you know the surf or you can get in the water i mean surf you know it's not australia but <laughs> you can get out of the water and, and chill out on the beaches um I, lo- I love the diversity that it brings i miss the hawkers of singapore right? i miss you know the, the the friendliness and the and the collegiality of, of the local community i do i do miss all that so it's got benefits the you know, for, for anyone who is thinking about moving to Singapore. Um, the one thing I would say is go and visit it first. If it's something that you are considering go about and see it because, uh, it's, it's quite a sight, it's something to behold. But again, I, I feel like there's a bit of a bias in here I had a 12 year advantage on Singapore. I I <laughs> Hong Kong's kind of like my, my home in, in many, many ways.
0: Mm, yeah. I, I, yeah it's a i i've never been funnily enough to singapore it's not too far from hong kong right it's like two hour three hour flight
1: yeah it's about yeah it's about that three and a half four hour flight um yeah, yeah. It's easy enough to do for a weekend
0: yeah but it's um it, yeah i think the 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 rivalry thing i yeah it is overplayed <laughs> but I, I do know quite a few people like you who've yeah they've gone and they've sampled it and then they come back and they stay it's a funny old place hong kong isn't it
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, the, the the only thing that remains for me to to say, Ben, is thank you so much for giving me your um your time today, and then you know, offering so many insights about the school and and your experience and things like that. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much.
1: It's been my pleasure, absolutely. So.